0: Welcome to Microdose Psychedelic Insights, powered by The Conscious Fund. This is the Sci-Fi Series, discovering the cutting edge science and research in psychedelic medicine. Welcome, everybody, to the Sci-Fi Podcast, uh, where we talk to leading clinicians, researchers, and industry experts to unravel the mystery that is psychedelic science. Uh, I'm really excited to speak with our guest today. It's Dr. Stephen Barnhill. Thank you so much for joining us, Doctor. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me,
0: Carl. Absolutely. Uh, Man, we've had a lot of really exciting discussions. Could you give our audience a little bit of uh, some insight into who you are and and the work that you do in in the space?
1: Sure. Well, I am um, a physician of about 35 years now and uh, my background was really in the biotech and pharmaceutical industry for uh, most of that 35 years. uh, I trained as a clinical pathologist and laboratory medicine specialist and uh, was in the clinical laboratory business early on uh, where I was, uh, had a clinical laboratory, several, that were acquired by Quest Diagnostics. And I stayed on uh, as a medical director for Quest for five years and then left and got into the world of artificial intelligence in medicine. And then I primarily focused on the use of artificial intelligence in medicine for the next 30 years, uh, right up and including today. Uh, I'm an inventor on 40 patents in artificial intelligence and its uh, application primarily to cancer biomarkers. And during that time, I've run both private and publicly traded companies, uh, as well as um, uh, international uh, companies, and that brings me up to about 2012.
0: Man, that's really incredible because we've only—you're right—that was only a snapshot of, of everything that you've accomplished. And you know, as a scientist myself, like it's—it's it's really impressive and really amazing the contributions you've made to the field uh, and through your work. You know, and I know part of what has inspired you to do the work you have, especially getting into cannabis primarily uh, had a lot to do with your mother's battle with pancreatic cancer and the profound impact that it had on you and and your passion for the therapeutic properties of cannabis. And, you know, we can't really talk about psychedelic medicine without talking about cannabis and the road that that's kind of paved for all of us. Uh, if you could comment a little bit upon this story and how it kind of propelled you into a lot of success in the world of cannabis with the High Times Cup and the Jack Herrera Cup and eventually into you using it uh, in, in Jamaica? I know it's, it's a big question, but uh, I know you have a lot to offer, so I'd love for you to share.
1: Sure, sure. So, yes, yeah, so from about 1985 up until about 2012, as i said, I was mostly in the uh, pharmaceutical and biotech industry uh, doing deals with uh, companies like Pfizer and Quest and Abbott and LabCorp, Bruker, uh, neogenomics, uh, many other companies and working strictly in that space. Uh, in 2012, uh, the, the company that I was, uh, chairman and CEO of, I retired from and, uh, uh, was really thought I was finished with my career at that point. And then my mother in 2013 got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, which was a tremendous blow to all of us. And because of my career, both in academics as well as in industry, I happened to know some of the top people in pancreatic cancer who agreed to treat my mother. And uh, they were doing a fantastic job. They were using a, a brand new chemotherapy that was experimental at the time. And it was actually working. The, the tumor was shrinking and uh, it was coming off of the great vessels. And we were talking about preparing her for surgery. But what happened after that was the effect of the chemotherapy and the tumor on her gave her severe intractable nausea. We had tried every single FDA approved anti-emetic medication on the market, including Marinol, none of which worked. So she lost down to about 88 pounds and uh, we had her on IV nutrition and I called her doctors and I said, look, we're going to lose her to starvation and not pancreatic cancer if we can't get some nutrition in her. So to my surprise, they said, you need to get some medical cannabis. And I said, you got to be kidding me, right? My mother is a 76-year-old woman. She's not going to smoke weed, and she's certainly not even going to let me in her house with it. They said, no, 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 you're going to use medical cannabis through a nebulizer system that that she will inhale like uh, COPD patients and asthma patients use. In fact, she also had COPD and took three inhalers a day. So they said, get this, tell her it's a fourth inhaler. Don't try to bias her opinion of what you're doing, but just see if it works. And at this point I was willing to try anything because uh, she was going downhill very rapidly, now not being able to eat. So I told her we were gonna give her a fourth vape for her lungs, didn't tell her what was in it. I administered it to her and she looked at me 10 minutes later and said, my nausea's gone. Well, I was shocked. Uh, As a traditional medical doctor, I had no experience with this and I really couldn't believe what I was hearing. So about 10 minutes after that, she began eating. And again, I was so surprised, but I kept doing this every meal. So three times a day, I was giving her this cannabis inhaler uh, with medical cannabis in it. And after one week, we got three pounds on her because she was able to eat and her nausea was gone, which really surprised me and then she went back for chemotherapy uh, a week later and the nurse gave her some apple juice uh, instead of giving it to her in a straw which is what you normally would do with a patient that's this that week she gave it to her with a glass and my mother aspirated on it and died three days later of aspiration pneumonia and not pancreatic cancer so that was a terrible blow for us and it made me think if cannabis, medical cannabis works that well on patients that are suffering from this severe nausea from chemotherapy, if we could get them to use it, it might help them be able to finish their treatment protocol. And they might be able to get to the end of the chemotherapy, a surgery, whatever they have, and, and be well instead of the vast majority of patients who die of cachexia because they simply can't eat and they just lose too much weight. So I decided to come out of retirement and dedicate the rest of my life to figuring out what just happened. Was this real? Did this cannabis really work or was this a fluke? As a medical doctor, you know, I need proof. I don't just need testimonial data, especially during the career that I was in for all these years. And uh, I had to have proof, that I could objectively convince myself that this is why it worked. So I came out of retirement, brought some of my team out of retirement and we all got together and we started really studying medical cannabis at a very deep level. And then in about 2015, I was asked to speak at the medical school at the University of the West Indies uh, in Jamaica at a conference that they were doing uh, to uh, talk about medical cannabis because the island of Jamaica at that time was in the process of legalizing medical cannabis, but not recreational cannabis. So I went down and I gave a talk with my partner, who was a, a Dr. Herb Fritchie, who was 42 years as the head of clinical chemistry at MD Anderson Cancer Center and a world renowned expert on cancer biomarkers, who's in this in, in this business with me now. And we went down and gave a lecture to about 300 people about how medical cannabis actually works. Uh, The next day, I was asked by someone uh, in the government that uh, heard the presentation and wanted to know if I would be willing to move to Jamaica and open a medical cannabis treatment facility that would be able to study this medicine and do it in a completely legal environment, do it with doctors who are licensed to prescribe medical cannabis to patients and collect clinical data on these patients. So I thought about it and I thought, you know, it's really in the U.S. we can't do this. You can't do this in most of the world. So if I really wanted to get to the answers that I was looking for, then I was going to, have to do this. So I moved to Jamaica and we opened a treatment facility for medical cannabis patients, both Jamaican patients and international patients. And uh, we proceeded to get licensed by the Cannabis License Authority uh, for uh, being able to cultivate research and development. Uh, We have a research and development license. We also have a therapeutic retail license which allows us to treat patients uh, as well as sell retail we have a processing license which allows us to process the oil uh, we have a, a very large processing facility down there and we have a full medical staff that's trained to treat patients with medical cannabis uh, and that's what we do it's and it's very different than most people think are uh, but you know we treat for example estrogen receptor positive breast cancer patients different than triple negative patients, yeah. right? You need the doctors because we also collect data on these patients. We have scan data, we have clinical laboratory data, and we take care of these patients um, just like a regular medical institution would, right? So we have the ability to follow them, to study them, but also to take care of them. Yeah, I think it's That's really fascinating. Time. Oh, go ahead. Now so it's very exciting and this is we've been down in Jamaica since uh, two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. And we've got a lot of very exciting stuff going on.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's so powerful in your story that, you know, you and your team, you, you guys came out of retirement, you know, like this moved you so much you you couldn't help but uh, want to investigate it further, you know, so much so that you moved your whole life to, to Jamaica. And now you're at the forefront of some really cutting edge work. And uh, I know when we're talking about psychedelic medicine, a lot of the discussion around cannabis has kind of revolved around maybe it failing to kind of deliver on its promise as a therapeutic. But I know our article I recently published for Green Flower talked about, well, that might just be because our paradigm for drug discovery and drug research is too limited. What with the entourage effect and everything. And and the work you're doing with AI, I feel like is really helping unlock that uh, and help us under, uh, expand our understanding about how cannabis therapeutics really works, you know, um, and how does cannabis work? And you, you're applying that on a very real level to different conditions and, and different, you know, phenotypes of cancer uh, and, and all of this. And I think that's really radical and really cool what you're doing.
1: Well, thank you. Yes, and you know what, You, you with artificial intelligence, you're generally dealing with high dimensional space. So uh, in my previous work, uh, we did things like identify the four genes that diagnosed prostate cancer out of 30,000 genes, right? How do you look at the data results of 30,000 genes and say, I think these four would would properly um, identify a pancreatic cancer patient? We also worked with a million pixels of a mammogram to be able to differentiate malignant from benign calcifications. Malignant calcifications you see in breast cancer, benign calcifications we see in things like fibrocystic breast disease. And it's the most misdiagnosis so the ai when you look at a million pixels of the mammogram you can actually see things that physicians can't see with their eyes and you can make those sorts of distinctions um, we also worked on an iphone app for melanoma detection where you can take a picture with your iphone and use the ai to really look at that image to determine whether a patient might have a high moderate or low risk of of that lesion being a melanoma. So it carries over uh, some, especially some of the new artificial intelligence techniques that deal in high dimensional space to the cannabis world, right? So we have cannabinoids, 100, 120, 140, depending on, on, on what literature you're looking at, but you also have, let's just say for example, 100 terpenes, 20 flavonoids, Okay, so you're talking about a three or four hundred dimensional space problem. So the idea here is to use the AI to say these four cannabinoids with these three flavonoids with this terpene may be best for treating pancreatic cancer. Whereas these five cannabinoids with these four terpenes with this flavonoid might be best for treating ulcerative colitis. And we also treat opioid addiction and things like that, but we can use that information to essentially create patentable formulations that can then be turned into actual medicines. Because once you identify those formulations and you show that they work in clinical trials on patients, you have to have that same quality and standard going forward for every patient with that diagnosis that you treat. Now, in addition to that, we also do collect blood specimens on patients in order to do human genome work. Because let's just say, for example, you have 50% of your breast cancer patients will respond well and 50% don't. Then you can look at the genome with artificial intelligence and say the ones that respond well have this genomic pattern. And the ones that don't respond well don't have that genomic pattern. And then you're triaging patients based on biomarker information, just like we do with chemotherapy. You know, when you we, we, when you get diagnosed with cancer here in the US, depending on the type of cancer, they do genetic studies on you. And depending on the genetic pattern that you have, that's how they choose the proper treatment. So it's used for triage. We're trying to develop the same thing in the cannabis industry, right? So. You mentioned that, you know, the cannabis may, may not uh, have given the results that some people were looking for. It's true. But in many cases, they don't know how to use it. Right. Right. So if you don't know which doses you're using, which cannabinoids you're using, which disease you're treating, how you're doing it the right way, and you just go to a bud tender and they say, here, take this oil, and you don't even know what's in the oil. You don't have any idea the ingredients. And then it doesn't work. People say, well, it didn't work.
0: Right.
1: That's not true. Right. If, a if, if, if a if you get an infection and a doctor gives you the wrong dose of antibiotic or gives you the wrong antibiotic for that infection, it's not going to work either. Right. So it's not the fault of the medicine. It's the fault of the practitioner that's utilizing the medicine. And that's why I'm a very strong believer that, only doctors should be treating patients with whether it's surgery, chemotherapy, psilocybin, um, whether it's cannabis because there's more to that patient and that disease than just saying here take some of this or my neighbor told me if I bought some of that and there are doctors that specialize in this now around the world more and more that really do in fact know what is the right dose for example, what is the right route of administration do we want to go sublingual or do we want to go oral? That depends if we want to bypass the liver. That depends if we, if, if we want to, or can we go suppository? Right? It just depends on that patient and their specific needs and the disease that you're trying to work with. And so it's, it's more complicated than just going into a dispensary and talking to a bud tender.
0: Absolutely.
1: We've had great results. I can tell you, I came into this with no preconceived notion. What happened with my mother could have been a fluke. But I can tell you after now being in this industry for seven years, it absolutely does work. I have seen it work. And I have seen things that you could not have convinced me 10 years ago before I got into this uh, from the success of this medicine. Wow.
0: That's really amazing, man. Uh, I think it's really fascinating
1: <clears throat> that
0: you're able to to utilize cannabis in such a versatile way and be able to gain such a deeper understanding of its therapeutic potential. Uh, I know you mentioned psilocybin, and I think that leads really well into our next question because I know there's was an interesting intersection uh, between medicinal mushrooms of various sorts, edible mushrooms that you guys are also using. So I would love for you to talk about how that's fitting into the picture, and I'm sure that makes this uh, equation so much more dynamic and complicated when you're adding another plant medicine in there. So how do you kind of navigate
1: that? Right, well, and it's interesting because uh, I was originally contacted by some folks that wanted to get into the mushroom side of this industry, uh, specifically psilocybin. And because I'm in Jamaica, Jamaica does not have laws against mushrooms. Right. They've just never been made illegal, right? So you see a lot of the uh, companies that are getting started in the mushroom industry, uh, particularly the psilocybin mushroom industry, coming down to Jamaica. Right. So as I started looking into it, grub, what I started seeing was that many of the diseases outside of the psychological disease world, many of the diseases that are treated by mushrooms, both psilocybin and edible, and the diseases treated by cannabis are actually very similar. Right? So I guess being a scientist, my mind went to, this is great, but what if we combine them? What if we're actually able to combine the right healing properties from cannabis with the right healing properties from the mushroom. So we're dealing with the entourage effect of cannabis. We're dealing with the entourage effect of mushroom compounds, but we're also dealing now with the entourage effect of both, almost like a super entourage effect, right? Right. So even with psilocybin, as you know, uh, many patients that are under psilocybin treatment will have severe anxiety, they'll have paranoia, and sometimes they have to be really uh, carefully monitored to get them through the, the, the psilocybin trip, if you will, uh, to get the treatment. Well, one of the things that has been shown is that if you give these patients simultaneous CBD. You can significantly reduce the anxiety. You can significantly reduce the paranoia. You can expand the trip, and you can make it more effective. So that's just one example of how mushrooms and cannabis work together, and that's in the psilocybin-only industry, if you will. Now, what we do at Ion Therapeutic is not just limit ourselves to psychological disorders with psilocybin. As you study this more and more, you start to realize that in cancer, there are mushrooms that have been used for cancer treatment, edible mushrooms that are completely legal. There are chemotherapeutics that are approved in Asia that are mushroom based that are approved for these cancer patients. All right. Same with obesity, same with inflammation, right? These are all different industries, the viral industry. Right, Viruses, there are antiviral compounds in mushrooms, and there are antiviral compounds in cannabis. Right. So let's just take a, as, a, as a simple example, cancer. We know there are compounds in the mushroom, for example, that cause angiogenesis. Angiogenesis, uh, I should say anti-angiogenesis. But what happens when a cancer cell grows, it has to take blood vessels with it because it needs to survive off of oxygen. Right? So there are chemotherapeutic agents that are approved by the FDA that are used as anti-angiogenic agents that stop that cancer from being able to take that uh, uh, blood vessel and grow, let it grow with the cancer. So if you can do that, you can kill the cancer right? That's the theory with anti-angiogenesis. You also have apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. We have cancer cells in our body that destroy themselves. They commit cellular suicide. When you lose that ability, then the cancer can grow, okay? There are things in the cannabis plant, for example, that cause apoptosis. So let's just talk about, without getting too complex, imagine if I use one of the anti-angiogenic properties from the mushroom with an apoptotic property from cannabis, now I have two shots on goal at killing that cancer, right? The reality is it's much more. Mushrooms also increase immunity. You also have uh, things in cannabis that cause cytotoxicity that have uh, uh, certain cell death uh, protocols that it work under. So now we start combining these things. First, you use the AI, you figure out which ones, which parts of the mushroom are anti-cancer, which parts of the cannabis are anti-cancer, and now we combine those together. Now the beautiful thing about this is that for antiviral, anti-cancer, anti-obesity, and you guys I mean you know that there are things in mushrooms, for example, that can cause. Uh, people to lose weight you also have THCV that's an appetite suppressant. another combination of mushrooms with cannabis right but it's more than that it's a lot more than that when you get into the AI and you're looking at all of the patterns together but when you look at at these things four of them antiviral, anti-cancer, anti-obesity and anti-inflammation the mushrooms we use for all four of those specific Uh, conditions are edible mushrooms. They're legal all over the world. If we combine those uh, properties with uh, cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids from hemp, which is less than 0.3% in most places, it it varies from, from country to country, but if we use hemp with high CBD and low THC, We're creating a combined product that's legal in most places, right? So while we do treat patients with uh, psilocybin, CBD combinations, we could do that in Jamaica. You can't export psilocybin around the world, right? It's very illegal in a lot of places. But what we're developing using edible mushrooms with hemp is importable all over the world to many places uh, because it's allowed. So we I think are the first company maybe in the world that's actually doing combination of medical mushrooms with medical cannabis, both psilocybin and edible mushrooms to create these new formulations. And I'm happy to tell you that we have now filed five patents covering all five of these disease conditions. And we have uh, 24 formulations that are in study right now uh, that are undergoing things like 3D cell culture and nano so that we can actually create medical formulations, both pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, and cosmeceuticals. Now, the way I break this down is the pharmaceuticals are things that include a Schedule One drug whether that's THC, or whether that is psilocybin. And those products have to have physician prescriptions and be completely legal where they're being used, right? Nutraceuticals are things that are not Schedule One. They don't have any Schedule One ingredients in them. It could be a, an edible shiitake mushroom with CBD. That's more complicated than that, but that's an example. The same with cosmeceuticals. Cosmeceuticals have no Schedule One drug in them. They are edible mushrooms combined with, with with hemp plants, and so we have those three. And our nutraceutical and cosmeceutical line, therefore, is able to be created and exported to countries where it's legal to import those types of products. And the psilocybin, we can do, we, with with CBD, for example, and other things, we can study in Jamaica where it's legal and wait for other countries to begin to open up for those products.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. The fact that you guys are based in Jamaica puts you at such a big advantage, you know, to a lot of other people in the space right now. I mean, that location is really perfect to be doing this kind of work and other people are at least a couple of years behind the curve. They can't set up shop there.
1: Well, the reason that I say that we may be the only company in the world that's doing this type of research at this level all natural, not synthetic, is because the company that came to me to see about doing this type of work came to me as a medical cannabis licensed facility in Jamaica, right? So if another company comes to Jamaica and wants to do magic mushroom, psilocybin research, or some other type of mushroom research, they cannot add cannabis to it unless they're licensed by the Cannabis License Authority to be able to handle cannabis legally, right? And so, as it turns out, because we happen to be licensed, I say we, me, through my other company, happens to be licensed for cannabis by the CLA and for cannabis R&D and all the things I mentioned, we can also do work combining cannabis and mushrooms. Where a mushroom company that comes to Jamaica that doesn't have a CLA license or a CLA licensed partner can't do that type of work because oddly enough, cannabis is regulated and psilocybin is not currently.
0: That's really that's yeah, that's really fascinating that you guys are gonna be ahead of the curve like that. I'm definitely excited to see the research that's coming out of your institution as well, because besides treating patients, you guys are adding to the, the body of knowledge you know, about how these compounds can be therapeutically used and understanding their mechanisms. And that's so important as a researcher myself. I think that's really valuable uh, what you're doing. I wanted to pivot a little bit. I know you guys are also using data from whole genome sequencing to, to customize treatment protocols for patients. And a lot of what's being echoed in our conversation is the fact that this next generation of medicine is personalized, it's not a one-size-fits-all treatment, uh, and you guys are taking it to the next step by utilizing genome sequencing, so I'd love if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the goal really here is personalized medicine, right, so the genome sequencing is you take the, the, the genome data from a given patient, and you try to identify certain biochemical biomarkers, Right? Tumor markers or other types of biochemical markers that will help you triage the patient into the right treatment. And you have to use AI as I, as I described for that because it's it, one skilled in the art, which is the AI IP uh, bar that you have to meet. One skilled in the art can't look at 30,000 genes and tell me which one's going to do better with this treatment or that treatment. Right? So we have to use that. And I think that is a big deal. Now, Something else we're working on uh, with the 3D cell cultures with cancer is to be able to take a patient's individual cancer, not just some generic breast cancer, but Mrs. Smith's breast cancer, and put it into 3D culture and try a, a, a myriad of our formulations for cancer on that tumor and see which one actually kills her tumor the best. And then we can treat her with that specific treatment. And that just takes it to a whole nother level of personalized medicine, which is, I think going to give us more efficacy than treating cancers in general, which is why the cancer industry, uh, the traditional cancer industry is moving toward the same thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really cool because uh we're able to i know use genome sequencing for a limited number of applications right now especially when it comes to like mental health and some other um some other therapeutic areas Uh, but applying it to cannabis applying it to medicinal mushrooms and seeing how you can tailor treatments and know that they may be they have a higher chance of success before they're getting put in the patient by using 3d cell culture and trying to attack just their cancer. I think that's really powerful and and pretty cutting edge. Uh, If you could talk a little bit about 3D printing and the medical cannabis products you're applying that to. When I was uh, working at Rush Medical Center in Chicago, we were doing some pretty cool work briefly using uh, 3D printers to print out patient specific heart models. Uh, So I'd love to know how that is, um, how you're applying that to medical cannabis products.
1: Sure. So the, the 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 whole reason I got into developing a three D printer in this space originally was dealing with cannabis, right? Because again, as a medical doctor and, and 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 a guy from the pharmaceutical industry, I go by the old adage, you know, a Tylenol is a Tylenol is a Tylenol, right? If I buy a Tylenol in the U. S. and you buy one in Canada. And someone else buys one in London. They're exactly the same. The dose is the same. The quality is the same. So how do you get that with medical cannabis? Because one, you've got to have the same the same formulation, right, if the, as, as what your clinical trial proved works. But number two, how do you deal with importing THC? So I thought there's got to be a better way around this problem. So what we did was we hired some guys that had a lot of experience in 3D printing. And we developed a printer, the simplest version of which is what I'll describe now, is basically a printer with two printer heads. If you think of a regular printer with red ink and blue ink, right? printer head one will be loaded with broad spectrum cannabis that has zero THC. It has every other ingredient in the cannabis plant for the entourage effect, but no THC. Now, that product is exportable to many places around the world because all it is is CBD hemp full spectrum, right? So if you're in Colombia, for example, Garth, and and you have a psychedelic license or a psychedelic license, I guess what are they calling it now? Psychogenic license in Columbia. That means you can, you are licensed to legally handle THC. I can send you this printer and I can send you what goes in printer head one, which is essentially everything, all the cannabinoids, flavonoids, and terpenes, but zero THC. I can send you that they're legally. You take your cannabis license for THC, and we will show you how to make Bio-Ink 2, where you can take THC and create the Bio-Ink, and you legally load Printerhead 2 in Columbia, fully legal and fully licensed. Now I can send from my computer to that printer an email, essentially. That says, it's an instruction, but think of it like an email that says, I want you to print a pill that's 80% CBD and 20% THC. Just to give you the simplistic version, right? That 3D printer will print that pill in your printer completely legally without any issues of import or export. But you, because I'm, I'm only dealing with people that are legally licensed in, in that particular country or that particular state to be able to use THC. All I'm doing is sending a computer instruction to the printer, which is operating legally. This way, if I tell it, now again, it's, it's more complicated than that, right? Because you could have, uh, Several cannabinoids, oh. several terpenes, several flavonoids, right? But but if you just think about it simplistically, I can then produce an 80% CBD, 20% pill, sublingual, oral, or suppository anywhere that that printer is, simply by going through the internet. Wow, that and this a huge
0: has such huge implications. The work you're doing, not just on treating disease. Okay. But also on accessibility, like that's <laughs> a huge discussion in the psychedelic space. And it has been in cannabis and it will continue to be is how can we better access these therapies? How can we use technology to scale them up, but also bring down costs and take them to other parts of the world where people need them and not just the privileged can have access to them. And it seems like the the work you're doing now has really big has a really big impact on that yes
1: and 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 what we plan to do next is to add additional printer heads to handle mushroom compounds wow And and then you would you would be able to print a tablet that is a combination of the best healing parts of cannabis with the best healing parts of mushrooms edible now because the edible mushrooms are legal uh but uh, eventually, if there are countries that legalize psilocybin, we could we could print, for example, a psilocybin CBD capsule. Uh, not capsule, but powder, right? Uh, and so we're developing this technology. Uh, we've been doing this for about two years, and we're very excited. It, it's fascinating to watch this machine actually print a, 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 a medicine. And I will tell you that the FDA in the United States has approved some drugs that are 3d printed certainly not cannabis and not psilocybin but there are medications that that technology has received fda approval on so it's a technology that's coming to be i just uh probably the first one to use it in the medical cannabis space and now in the medical cannabis mushroom combined space
0: that's that's super cool uh one of the topics that's come up a lot in our discussion i think it would be a good point uh, to start to close our discussion on, it has to do with policy, has to do with legality, has to do with these laws, you know. So as a, as a doctor that didn't, in your traditional medical training, I uh, really get experience in working with things like cannabis and psilocybin. Uh, and now having seen the damage, like something like the war on drugs has done to the state of research surrounding these compounds and how, how much the prohibition movement has held back our ability to make the kind of progress. You are now, uh, what are your thoughts on the dissonance between science and policy and how can we move forward uh, into a brighter future where. Science and policy can be in alignment with each other, you know, and so the research that's coming out isn't diametrically opposed to the legislation that's also blocking access to these therapeutic compounds.
1: Right. Well, you know, that's an interesting subject, Garth, because, you know, I I do understand that the the war on drugs and live through it. Um, A lot of this, though, has to do with recreational use of the drugs. Uh, I, I am... I'm not in that business, right? And and I understand the concerns and I understand some of the overdose potential, not with cannabis, but with some of the other uh, illegal drugs that have been out there, whether that, whether, you know, Schedule 1 includes heroin, methamphetamine, you know, there's some things I don't think should be on Schedule 1. I personally think psilocybin may be rescheduled even faster than cannabis, and the reason I feel that way is because uh, in cannabis in the U.S., because there hadn't been any clinical trials really uh, uh, for many, many years, it's a lot of testimonial data, right? My grandmother took this and it did this to her. My, my mother took it and this is what it did for her. But that's not scientific proof and evidence. With psilocybin, you have the Johns Hopkins group that got – DEA waiver to do psilocybin studies 20 years ago, and now they have published some 60 peer reviewed publications. These are the best guys in the world that have shown that psilocybin doesn't have two of the things that Schedule One requires. One, it doesn't have a high addiction potential because the treatment that they use is only given once every six, seven months, one dose. And it clearly has medical benefit because you can't have 60 peer review papers coming out of Johns Hopkins University Medical Center uh, that doesn't show scientific proof. So if, if I were the DEA, if I were the head of the DEA, I would have a hard time, I believe, arguing against these Johns Hopkins guys that this doesn't have medical benefit and this doesn't have a uh, strong addiction potential because they've done clear clinical trials with the DDA's approval to show that. Cannabis, on the other hand, has got to come through the same sort of process, which is what we're trying to do in Jamaica because we couldn't do it in other places in the world. Right? So, again, as, as I said, I also believe that if you're going to be treating patients, you need to be a doctor. Right? We had, a uh, I'll give you one example, we had a stage four cancer patient that came to Jamaica from the Cleveland Clinic in the U.S. She had stage four colon cancer, and she was scheduled to talk to one of our medical doctors about cannabis treatment, right, um, because she had failed Avastin therapy, and she wanted to try something different. Now, she had a 9 o'clock appointment at 7 o'clock that morning. I get a call saying, doctor, you need to come down and check on this lady. She's throwing up blood everywhere. Right. So she had she had to be put in the hospital, get an NG tube. She had to get fluid. Before you can talk about cannabis treatment or any other kind of treatment. You got a patient first. Right. So I I think that and we have problems with, with some patients that are on chemotherapy and cannabis. Right. Again, more shots on goal. I am not one of these guys that says take cannabis and don't take anything else. If you think that the cannabis oil can help and the chemotherapy can help and the radiation can help, whatever helps, let's do it. Right? Let's, let's use everything at our disposal that can possibly help someone who has a limitation of time left. Right? Absolutely. But we have patients that are on chemotherapy, they get very lethargic. Right? And you find out when you draw their blood, they have anemia and maybe they need a couple of units of blood. Well, It takes a medical doctor to even order the test to see if they have anemia. It takes a medical doctor to order the blood. And so what we did in in Jamaica was create an international cancer, well, not just cancer, but treatment facility, health and wellness center uh, in Jamaica that is staffed by knowledgeable doctors that know how to use these medications properly, but they also know how to take care of patients. So a patient can come to our facility in Jamaica uh, and they can get treatment uh, in a legal environment with medical supervision by a licensed physician. And I'm talking about uh, the the company Ion Therapeutic that I'm also involved with. The mushrooms. They also uh, now share our treatment facility, so the patients can come for psilocybin treatment under the care of a physician. They can come for cannabis treatment under the care of a physician. So, you know, it's a center that's set up to do this. And I'm happy to say that we just won first place in the world for the number one health and wellness uh, medical cannabis facility uh, by Edibles Magazine, which was a great honor. And we do things at a very high level of quality, right? We, we, We just won the Jack Harrow Cup, as you mentioned, for best solvent oil. We have won the High Times Cannabis Cup for Best Indica Flower, which was which is uh, made me especially happy because Indica is what we use to treat cancer patients with. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think this combination of these two companies, uh, the one that's licensed in cannabis with the mushroom company, that, and we can do the work for Ion Therapeutic with the cannabis license by having my other company as a partner, we're developing formulations that the world has never seen before. And then we, could, we we hope to develop these formulations using AI. Then we hope to look at the human genome and, and be able to triage patients correctly into the right formulation. And then we're able to make these formulations identically duplicate anywhere in the world where they're legal with a 3D printer.
0: That's really cool, man. I think it's really cutting edge, what you guys are doing over at ION. It has a lot of relevance at this point in our collective evolution as a species right now. I think the work you're doing could possibly be more relevant and more important and more necessary uh, for or for all of us. Uh, one of the things I did wanted to touch on uh, really quick was speaking of current events and the patents that you mentioned. Uh, one of them had to was concerned with antivirals. And I think our audience would be really interested to know if there might be any applications to COVID-19 and possibly future, you know, pandemics. And if we can find uh, the solution to immunity, to boost our immunity we we might need in these compounds.
1: Yes, well, you know, we can't speak specifically to COVID-19 or any other virus until we have the clinical data to prove it. But speaking conceptually in general, one of the problems with COVID has been this cytokine storm from of inflammation. This virus produces a tremendous amount of inflammation, and in many cases, it goes to the lungs, and that's what is is fatal in many of these uh, patients. Uh, as you know, there are many strong anti-inflammatory compounds in medical cannabis. Right, CBD is one of them. It's a very strong anti-inflammatory. CBG maybe a stronger anti-inflammatory than CBD. So. We have anti-inflammatory compounds. We have in mushrooms also immune-boosting compounds that actually boost the immune system. So one would have to think that if you had a medicine that could boost the patient's immune system and at the same time significantly slow down the inflammatory process, that might be beneficial to a COVID-19 patient. And so these are the things that we will be looking at and these are things that we will be studying. And then when we can put real data instead of just theoretical data to that question, uh, hopefully the next time we talk, maybe we can we can have some more specific conversation around that. But, yes, I think that I think that's it's quite possible.
0: That's incredible. We've had. I, I I expected this to be an exciting conversation. It always is with you, Dr. Barnhill. I'm so grateful you could come and be a, a guest on our podcast. Absolutely. I can't wait until the next time that we can talk. And there's been some more developments on the research and development end of what you guys are doing and hearing these exciting stories about you changing lives in these patients every day is the kind of hope and the kind of momentum and good news that we need for this movement and for the world at large today, you know? So thank you so much for the work that you guys are doing, truly. Oh, you're welcome. And and
1: listen, you know what's exciting to me, Gaurav, is that people say, are you a psilocybin psychedelic company that can do psilocybin research and treatment? The answer is yes. Are you a cannabis company that can do cannabis treatment and research and figure out the best uh, cannabinoid compounds and such for cannabis for treatment? The answer is yes. Are you an edible mushroom company? Are you guys interested in what goes on at the edible compounds so that we can look at the anti-cancer, antiviral, anti-inflammatory effects of edible mushrooms? The answer is yes. We at Ion Therapeutic, we do all three and that is very exciting. And I think this giant entourage effect of all three But we can tweeze out the details with AI and put them in proper formulations and then make those formulations patient specific is going to be very exciting for the world. And I thank you for what you're doing to help spread the word about what we're doing.
0: Oh, thank you so much. It's really my pleasure. It's such an honor to to have, have, have this hour with you. Right, I look forward to the next time and for all our listeners. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast. and This is Dr. Stephen Barnhill of Ion Therapeutics himself. Thank you so much. And until next time, folks, we'll talk soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Gaurav. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.
0: Thanks for joining the Sci-Fi Series, brought to you by Microdose and The Conscious Fund. Visit our website, at www.microdose.buzz.